This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. So yeah, well, I'm really glad we could finally put a date on the calendar that worked. Um, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, so thank you so much for hopping on TPQ20 with me today. Uh, we always like to start off by saying that we know who you are, but our audience might be new to you. So if you were to give your bio that your publicist doesn't have that wouldn't be on the back of your book, uh, who would you say you are? I would say I don't know who I am. I'm still figuring that out. And um, I'm someone who lives between languages and cultures and books and roles, I guess. All right. That's, that's a solid way to start. So, <laughs> well, and I, I think it is a really good way to start. So what, what are those roles? We'll start there. What are the roles you think that you, that you kind of live between and how do you compartmentalize things? You do live, at least in the world of, of words and, le- and literature, you do live in a lot of different places. <laughs> so so how do you how do you handle all of that? I don't think I handle it that well. I mean, I think <laughs> I think I think that my personality is sort of always I'm not if I'm interested in something, I'm deeply interested in it. I'm not a halfway person. So, you know, if I'm fascinated by a book, then I will read every book that that author has written. Um, so I guess my roles or the the duties of life would include being a mother, um, include uh, being a partner, uh, having a job. Those things are things that I have to do. They're part of what I do. Uh, but the writer is always there somehow in the churn, mixed in the churn. And it's difficult to compartmentalize when you have something that comes to you that you want to write. That moment is there. You know, it doesn't always come if you take 10 minutes. I, I haven't found the the strategies of start each day writing 20 minutes to be effective, oh you know? No, I don't. I, in the in the hundred or so of, of in these interviews that I've done, I think I've only interviewed a few people who have said that they can sit down from <laughs> this time to this time, and that is their writing time for the day. And I, yeah, yeah I don't know many people whose heads work that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because it's finding the time to do something when you have, when you have the kid running around or uh, you've got, you know, a million other things to do. Are you somebody who, when you write, are you somebody who likes to write out things by hand or are you somebody who gets lost in the note tabs in your phone? I write everything by hand first. Everything starts in a notebook, whether it's a review, an essay, a poem, a story, the novel, um, all of those things have started in, in the notebook. And then they end up 
there's this period I've gotten better about one thing. I've learned to dictate my notes to myself ah. on my phone. So there I will, you, you know, if I'm in a carpool, I'll bring the notebook and I'll <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Um, which is, you know, sometimes the words that my dictation gives me are more interesting than the words I'd originally oh, put. Man. There. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to imagine that that could take things in a totally different direction, especially if you can't remember what you were saying and why you exactly. were saying it. That's yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you um when you started, I guess how young were you when you realized that you were really interested in writing? When I was a kid, I'm, I always kept a journal. It was the space where a lot of the conversations that I wanted to have in school, I couldn't have with my peers or my friends. There weren't that many girls that wanted to talk about books when we were, you know, nine, or if they did, they wanted to talk about Babysitter's Club. Oh. And I was interested in um, very different books, old books. I was really into all the Brontes and George Eliot. And, you know, maybe I had a, a little bit of a romantic streak. I wasn't into boys. I wasn't, I found them to be really tedious and boring. <laughs> and, you know, I had this, this world in my head and that the notebooks were a space and diaries were a space where I could talk to those characters in the books. And, you know, so I've always done that. And I wanted to be a writer. Um, and I started off going to Carnegie Mellon on a creative writing fellowship and then I left and decided to do philosophy and just did everything else until around 35. I was still writing all this time, but at 35, my son got a poem published in Highlights, which had been my dream. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> he got Ode to a Swing published and he was like seven or eight, I think. That's and he said to me, mom, you're so excited about this. And I know you write stuff. Why don't you submit your things? Oh, and so he, I know. So he threw this <laughs> gauntlet at me, Chris, and he, and I just stared at the gauntlet, and I was like, you know, um, all of the all of the conflict and stuff, you know, in your head comes in, and I was like, you know what, I have to. I mean, it's ridiculous not to. So I started submitting. Well, good for him uh, to get to get you into that that headspace where that was something that you had to do, yeah. um, and we probably have that highlights magazine sitting around our house somewhere. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. It was, yeah, every it was dent, so cool. <laughs> every dentist office in the world has exactly. a copy of that Highlights magazine. It was the dream, you know, when you were a kid. Absolutely. It was just like, great. That's so. awesome. So then was there where, I guess, um, when you started writing, when you realized that that was something that maybe you needed to start publishing, you needed to start looking toward something like that. Were you focused more on fiction or essays or poetry at the time? It's such a wonderful question because again, I have always kept journals and notebooks, which include everything that I'm reading, thoughts on what I'm reading, you know, so it would be very, very much like Susan Sontag's notebooks and that there's this constant reference to what I'm reading, what I found, how it connects um, to other things. So that was happening, but I really, I was writing poetry too, but on the side, I was, I decided I was going to write this novel, which was this really weird, I never submitted it and I never will, because I think it's a piece of crap, but <laughs> You know, I I was at home with the kids and I started writing this novel in which it's actually the woman who narrates, but you don't find out till the end that she narrates her husband's diary. So she it's a it's okay. a sort of I don't know, it was a weird, it was ridiculous, but um I got but you really did it. 
you wrote a novel though so i mean at that I point it's not like you yeah that's a that's a big that's a big deal well you know i think sometimes writing a novel just means being fascinated enough with this story that's developing in your head that you follow it and <laughs> you know you stay up yeah. and so so sometimes some of those some of the scenes from the novel became ideas for short stories and so i was publishing submitting short stories um while submitting poems and um it was sort of a, I mean, everything at once, you know, it's genre is hard for me because <laughs> writing is writing to me, you know, it's, it's hard to, yeah, to, to answer well, that. Do you have, well, then maybe this is, this is a different angle then. Do you have certain things that you keep for different genres? So are there, when you go, oh, I can already see, I know this is podcast land, but I can see that face and that's a no. <laughs> so really so i guess then then when when do you know or is it just when you're writing it it just is what it becomes a, a lot of times it is what it becomes there are certain materials that i started off thinking were going to be a poem and they turned into a short story you know there was so i can miss i misread myself and i misread the materials recently working a lot of a lot of research so for example there's a lot of research in my notebooks on the danube and um history that is around the danube and philosophy that is related to the novel that i'm working on um so that i know where it's going right. you know i say that but then again <laughs> a poem a poem came out of some of it because there's these fascinating heretics so the idea of heresy itself is so fascinating right well so. And I love the fact that you, the philosophy side of you is very interesting to me. Um, as, as somebody who was also a, a, a creative writing and philosophy major, um, I, you know, the headspace is, I think, you know, I, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know if I had the questions about, about things and wanted to then write down, you know, all of the, you know, whatever my thoughts and answers were. But for you, um, one, which came first well I guess the writing really came early so then with the philosophy for you is there a is there a through line there for philosophy and poetry for you um and what made you what made you leave Carnegie Mellon to go toward philosophy as as kind of that journey um, I left because I didn't think that what I was doing was interesting. Um, Ooh, okay. And I, and I want, I think I just had sort of a, I didn't, I didn't think that, um, I didn't value what I was doing. My, I didn't value being published or I didn't have anything I wanted to say to the world. Everything I wanted to say was still really to me and in dialogue with the ghosts in my own head. Um, philosophy, I mean, yes, you're right, they're connected. So the interest in philosophy comes from this desire to understand life, right? And and language, both are connected through language. Language is the vehicle, the vessel that we use in order to explain and understand these things. And so I think my interest in how we use language, growing up in the South, where there's a lot of idiomatic language and a lot of um, um, language that is sort of in the no language, and then also Romanian, which is has a very different texture as a language. Um, and growing up in between those two languages, and 
realizing there's some ways in which the context that attached to each word, the connotation is the hardest part to translate the weight that each word carries on its heels. A word in the South carries a different weight on its heels than a word in the North, depending on how on that place's history. So, you know, there's, yeah. So I was interested in what truth means, I think. I I like that. I I've just come off of a, 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 few weeks of speaking with translators um, mm-hmm. and talking about exactly that, that idea, one, the idea of, of truth in translation and, you know, what, what that means and, and where you take the origin of a word and how, you know, do you take it in, in the world of feeling if there's not a direct translation for something like that? Do you, where, do you write in Romanian as well? I write, I mean, I think in English. I, okay. I say that with a caveat. I think in English, but I write sometimes from Romanian thoughts that I think too. Uh, oh, okay. Romanian. So like I think of, if I write it, it's in English, but the thinking also happens in Romanian. I hear it in Romanian in my head and it comes out on paper. So I'm always translating a little bit between this language that I grew up with and it's the language in which I know myself best because it's the language in which my parents um, told me who I was. It's the language that was the most, the truest, right? They were, nobody in Tuscaloosa, Alabama knew our family in Romania, why we were in the U.S., what it, what Ceausescu's Romania was like. Those were, that was an unknown and uninteresting universe to the majority of people who had, you know, if at most they might be interested in like the Cold War you know, side of it, but not in, you know, what does it mean to live in a land where language, like in Romania under Ceausescu, where language is absolutely stripped of meaning, you know? Wow, that's a, that's a really heavy, (laughs) it is, that's a really heavy thought. Uh, Do you, do you find yourself when you're kind of to go back to what you've said and what, um, you know, a fascinating discussion with Mira Rosenthal a few weeks ago um, about about this is where kind of those questions of of truth and and you know what it means to stick to the original piece. Do you ever find when you or do you ever translate your own work? And do you find that you have kind of those conundrums where where the words don't line up? And how do you, how do you translate that? I do translate my own work and. Uh, one of the interesting things that I've been doing lately is I've been translating a Romanian poet named Radu Vancu, who I really, whose book Psalms I really enjoyed. And, you know, there are often decisions that are made that involve noticing how my own voice enters. And I think I've given up on this idea of a literal translation. <laughs> and and it's easy to do I'm, that if I'm you realizing read... I'm realizing more and more that 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 is absolutely just a, there is not any such thing as a literal translation no there's not I mean I've said before you know in Romanian a, ver- a word is modified by its relationship to people so I've used this example supica means little soup so when your mother tells you eat your soup she says not eat your supa eat your supica but my mom said eat your supica when I'm 27 right so Mm -hmm. there's this tenderness 
that, and this is true, I've, I've, a friend told me that this is true also in Spanish, that the there's this warmth that is in the objects, that is sort of in the home, in the mouth, in the kitchen, in the in the all the um, domestic objects that you, when I'm translating, you know, to say supica, I would say your baby soup or your little soup, <laughs> but that changes it. You can't right. reveal the way that it is um, inside that word there's a like in animating the soup itself you know and yeah it's so. it really is fascinating i think a lot of uh, the the i think the most used analogy has been um translations are like cover songs um, yeah I and agree. That you're, yeah and that you're trying to find you're trying to find your representation of its meaning of its you know its origin right um, and i i love that um, and you get obsessed too. I mean, you, you, <laughs> if you're, if you're translating someone, you know, it's, it's because you really think that there's something incredible about what they're doing right. and you want others to hear it. And so there's this, there's this, it's almost like a love affair in your head. Mm. You know, there's a very intense desire to, um, to be faithful to what they've said, but in that desire is the acknowledgement that you will not be able to say it the way that they said it. In fact, in order to convey the same message, you will change the order of their words. You will, you know, and so you're making these decisions all the time. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Mira Rosenthal because she's incredible and someone that I admire a lot. Um, but it's a challenge, you know, it, it's a challenge. There's a lot of slang uh, in, in um, Vanku's poems that I've had to find ways to explain. Like a lot of the curses in Romania are attached to female private parts. I mean, almost all of them. Okay. So it's, and they're so, they're just, Romanian curses are so intense. And, you know, it, there's something funny about trying to bring that into, <laughs> into English, you know, it just, there's, there's something, um, again, translation itself. I said, I was interested in heresy and heretics. And I think the translator is always, in danger of being a heretic, right? Literal fundamentalists would say that you cannot um, modify or translate or change. It's it's literal, and right. so that is there's a there's the stance that you do when you translate. That yeah, it, it's I think it's it's intriguing to me the way because I didn't, you know, I've read translations for years and I didn't start really thinking about the idea of, of how, you know, uh, I didn't really start thinking about them as translations really until, you know, the last few years. And, and I think I, I look back at some of my professors and I wish they would have, I wish we, there would have been that conversation around translations that we were, that we were given because I, I would have liked to have had more experience then in understanding both the original and and then you know and this version um and so it's 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 been really fun lately going back through and and having that experience now um with maybe a little bit more understanding at least so it's... right to me like it's it, i think it's so interesting to read paul Celan in different translations mm. or to read tomas salamun in different translations because each of the translators is so they have their I have my vanku, my view of him. And that's what I'm going to give you, right? right? And and it's so interesting because you each of them is beautiful in its own way and gives us, you know, a a theory of that that poet 
that writer. And to, because it's so sacred to you, because this writer is doing something sacred, you have to profane it. So that's the, that's the, you know, again, going back to this weird, you know, idea of sacred profane, her, her, like heresy, you, you find yourself knowing it's a dirty process. It's dirty. It's not pure. It's, it's messy, you know? <laughs> so as we kind of shift toward, toward the ending here, what do you have coming up uh, that we should be super excited about? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> what do I have coming up? What do I have that I know that I'm working on? What do I have that I know is coming up or out? What is next for you? I'm, I'm finished. Well, I need to start submitting this, poetry, <laughs> this poetry collection that has um, been finalisted a few times that I've only submitted a few times. It's called Byline B Sky. And it was sort of a pandemic poetry collection, but also this novel that I've been working on. And then this book that is something like, um, it's a series of essays, but it's essay is not quite the right description for it. I do have a short pamphlet coming out next year that's fiction with um, a British press, which is wild. Very cool. That's cool. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's one thing for sure. I've got um, I've got a an essay that's sort of biographical coming out um, on Paul Ceylon and rings. So that'll be uh, somewhere soon. <laughs> cool. And then um, who are you excited about right now? Who's out there that you're reading that really you start falling in love with? What are you, what are you really enjoying these days? So are you asking me poetry or are you asking? Oh, me wholesale is fine. We, you know, I started, when I started asking people this question, I realized that not everybody truly reads just, you know, no, nobody reads just poetry. So we've had a lot of people. And then as we've expanded, we have a lot of people who write in poets, write in every genre these days. So uh, the, uh, the reading list is as big as the writing list, which is amazing. So who are you excited about in the world of literature these days? I'm really excited generally, I have to say, um, and it, sometimes it's by press. So I can say sublunary editions is always publishing something that excites me. And Watching their progression over the last handful of years. I've been a, I've been a subscriber to their, to their Patreon and, and their newsletters and everything. Watching their progression has been incredible. Yeah. And, it, and it's, I love the language. I love, I love Joshua's enthusiasm his just deep um commitment to the authors that he publishes uh, and to the translations so i'm always i've always got my eye on what's coming out next year in their catalog so everyone that is in their catalog i would say is i'm excited about um i'm excited about generally i'm always looking for what hilton owls is up to as a as a critic he's one of my favorites and i I love how he writes and I keep hoping that there's a book in the works, <laughs> but you know, it's, there's so many, it's hard. I feel like I would just be sort of because <laughs> I'm always every day. It's something else. It's some, someone else, uh, a different writer. A lot of, a lot of my recent interests are stuff that I didn't read. That's older. 
right. you know, so I'm excited about, you know, spending time with some of those books next year and looking at them. I'm always excited about, um, about conceptual artists who are working in looking at how documentary forms are themselves not true. Oh. So I'm I'm fascinated by this idea of that we this 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 belief that we place in the veracity of archives as a sort of this is going to tell us the truth because it's an archive. But um, you know, if you look at the police files, for example, or the state security files from Romania, all of those are telling you nothing except just like with our prison files, right? They're just telling you what that government found threatening. And it's just, it's not a truth. It's a right particular story that serves a particular purpose right um, so i like i'm really interested in uh artists who are challenging those bomb magazine always has fascinating interviews and introduces me to artists that are um compelling and inspiring nice Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love your work and I always look forward to reading what comes next. Uh, and I will look forward to sending more and more people your direction as well. So thank you You're so, so much. Generous. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.